From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Issues that split the country can split families. When the vaccines first came out, I believed this was our chance to kill off the virus instead of the other way around. My mom believed the opposite. She was flat out opposed to getting a COVID vaccine. Worse, she was panicked that I might get the shot. Yeah, I am really afraid of the vaccine, and I'm afraid of my kids getting it. And I'm just, I am. Yeah. You know, God God help us, you know, God help us all. Today, The Wedge, a new podcast distributed by CPR about bridging divides. I'll ask the co-creators about when to engage in these sorts of discussions and when not to. If someone's chasing me, I'm not going to be like, hey, how are you feeling, right? I'm going (laughs) to run away. I'm Diane Palais, and we donated our car to Colorado Public Radio. It was the car that both of my kids learned how to drive on. When it came time to get rid of the car because it made no more sense to repair it again, we took a vote and we decided to donate it to CPR. The process was really easy. We had to have our title, which we signed over, and the tow truck came and took it away. It's easy to donate your car at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. A mother and daughter are putting in the work to get over their differences. Their story is told in a new podcast distributed by CPR called The Wedge. Journalist Erica Anderson recorded her conversations with her mom over the course of about a year after they had a falling out over COVID vaccines. We're going to listen to most of episode one. First, though, Erica joins me with Eve Daniel Perlman, who heads Spaceship Media, which produced The Wedge. And welcome to you both. Thank you so much. We're glad to be here. Erica, what was your goal as you were making this show? One of the main goals was to really reconnect with my mom and to do that in a way that wasn't avoiding this big issue that was between us. We had tried that or I had tried that, you know, not talking about the vaccine, not talking about COVID. And during the height of the pandemic, that became pretty impossible. And so it meant that I was avoiding my mom a lot. And there was sort of more and more space growing between us. And that was pretty heartbreaking. We already live pretty far apart at this point. So my hope was to be able to find, you know, first and foremost, a way back to her and a way for us to be in each other's lives in a way that was loving and and honest, too. And then as a journalist, you know, the work that I do at Spaceship, it just sort of dovetailed perfectly because the goal of Spaceship is to get people to have conversations around difficult issues. And so we were thinking, okay, well, what do do we want to be doing right now during the pandemic and how can we be of help? And we had this idea of having conversations between two people who cared about one another, who were approaching the pandemic differently and the sort of strife that was causing. And I said, well, you know, uh, I happen to be living that right now. So it just sort of worked out that we sort of thought of this as a pilot project to see what would it look like with a journalist and her mother who believe different facts and, you know, live in different sort of information universes. Could we show a way of them coming back together? A microcosm for sure of the country today. As we listen, we, we have to remember this was unfolding in real time. This is not about 
reconstructing conversations that happened in the past. Eve, why take that approach? The approach of doing it in real time because it's so real, right? It's a, a story in the making. It was, um, you know, we were all under the shadow and forces of the pandemic and supporting Erica and her mom in coming forth honestly and openly to talk about their experiences and their beliefs and the news they consume felt like a meaningful way to pass the time and to reckon with the time. I want to hone in on one thing before we listen to the bulk of the first episode. Erica, so often the advice we get is avoid politics at the dinner table. You know, carve that out and make the relationship smoother. But you, you just couldn't be satisfied in your relationship with your mother, it sounds like, with a carve-out. Say just a few words about that before we listen. Yeah, I think a carve-out works when you're not in the middle of a global pandemic and the issue that you're dealing with has to do with how do you approach that pandemic. My mom and I have skirted or carved out just not talking about some things, but this was becoming both of our whole lives. Also, just the fact that the stakes were so high. You'll hear in the beginning part of this episode that, you know, we got into this argument that started over my mom just saying, well, I don't know about this vaccine. And I just lost my mind because I'm walking down the streets of New York City and, you know, there are sirens going and there are people dying left and right. And her saying that felt like a threat in that moment. And so there was there was no carve out at that point because it was like, it felt like it was my survival. My mom making that choice felt like a threat to my survival, even though she was thousands of miles away. And I think something just to touch on what you said before, you know, we were seeing so many of these articles of like 10 tips to talk to your family that you disagree with and how to sit around the dinner table. And, you know, we're going, well, that that's not that's not how it works. You can't have a listicle of things to like make it through, you know, your abortion conversation with your, your aunt Sally or my aunt Sherry in that case, you know, it's a messy conversation. It's a hard conversation that has to be had. And I think, you know, one of the main things too, is this willingness. So I have a brother who he was sort of the initial one that we thought, okay, I could do this with my brother. He's super, super anti-vax, but I didn't feel like there was a willingness on his part, mm. in, at least in my mind. I never checked with him. I could be totally wrong to have these conversations, to find a way to have peace. Uh, whereas my mom, she and I definitely have a much stronger relationship to sort of salvage. But also she's in a position where she was willing to have conversations and come, you know, with a generosity. The willingness uh, is key there. Uh, and so this felt life and death, it felt existential. It's funny you mentioned your aunt, because I kept thinking of my aunt Linda, my late aunt Linda, as I listened. And let's indeed listen now to most of the first episode of The Wedge, a podcast distributed by CPR. There are so many things that divide us right now. What do you do when you can't agree with someone you love? I mean, I know you probably don't want to get into the coronavirus vaccine, but I don't trust the mainstream narrative. I'm Erica Anderson. I'm a journalist. That's my mom, Keeney Christie. 
She lives with her husband on Molokai, a small Hawaiian island. I live in Brooklyn with my boyfriend Enrique and my dog Alma. Hi, Alma. My mom loves this dog. On video calls, she coos at Alma like she would a grandchild. Come here. Come. Come here. Come see. There's Alma's nose. There's Alma. We often talk on the phone when I'm walking Alma. By the way, I have a bit of a potty mouth, and there are a few swear words in this episode. One freezing cold night in January 2021, I took Alma outside and dialed my mom. I could tell instantly that something was wrong. I didn't record that call with my mom. This is tape of me telling a coworker about it. Usually when I call her, she picks up the phone like, hi, honey, hi. Like, she's so excited to hear from me. And this was like, she answered the phone and she just goes, hi. Like so much of the world, we'd both been isolated for months because of the COVID pandemic, but she'd stayed pretty cheerful. Now when I asked her, what's wrong? She's like, I'm just so worried about the state of the world. And I was like, I know, mom, you know, this COVID is just insane and we're still in lockdown. And she was like, And this vaccine, like people are just going to take this vaccine and not even question it and the damage we're going to do. And I I couldn't, I couldn't even take it in exactly what she was saying because I was so shocked. At that time, the COVID vaccine was still really new. Most people I knew in New York were desperate to get it. After living through months of constant sirens and overflowing morgues, I certainly wanted to be vaccinated and I wanted my mom to be too. As I scooped steaming dog poop from the crusty snow in Brooklyn, I tried to reassure my mom in Hawaii. I said something like, I understand you're worried, mom, but like so many, like people are dying. Hundreds of thousands of people are dying. And at that point she said, well, I don't know if I believe those numbers. And my head exploded. I'm like, "Are are you fucking kidding me? I found myself going from civil to screaming into the phone at her. And I just, like, I was crying, I was sobbing, and so then I was just, like, yelling through my tears. I'm just like, you have no idea. You have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what people have lived through. Like, actual people are actually dying by the thousands every day, and you're worried about the potentials of a risk of a vaccine that you actually don't know anything about. And then I just got really quiet. And then I just said, I got to say, Mom, I'm really disappointed. And she was like, well, I am really disappointed, too. Who hasn't been there? So mad at someone you love over one of those issues that drive us apart. Sometimes it's guns, abortion, or climate change. In this story, it's quarantines, masks, and vaccines. What's safe and what's real? This is a story about me and my mom having one of those conversations so many of us would rather avoid. Welcome to The Wedge, a podcast from Spaceship Media, presented by Colorado Public Radio. Episode one, grab your vitamin C. I work at Spaceship Media. Our motto is journalism to bridge divides. That means we help people talk about divisive issues by listening 
asking lots of questions, and digging deep into facts and beliefs. That's my job, and I love it. And I'm really close with my mom. I love her. But when it comes to COVID, we might just be as divided as everyone else. I mean, people die from the flu every year. We don't lock down the world for the flu. No, no, because it's not, it's not apples to apples. COVID is way more infectious. So it may kill people at a similar rate, but if it's infecting more people, then more people are dying. I am so frustrated. At work, we know that many people are running into similar splits in their families, and we're looking for ways to help. We think, what about starting with me and my mom? I call her and tell her, I have an idea. So what is this idea? What's your idea? I love it. Creative ideas. So I've just, you know, of course, been thinking about, oh man, I'm going to (laughs) cry. Just that big, (laughs) that big argument that we had, I don't know, like a month ago. And I just really don't like the way that I spoke to you or the way that it ended. And I feel like we've just had like a silent agreement to like not really talk about it, you know? Right, yeah. And I don't want to get into like a debate with you about the issues but I would like to have a better understanding of like what you believe and why like if we could record you and I having a conversation and or like probably several conversations (laughs) where you're where I get to just ask you questions about your life and your passions and your belief and I'm not really sure what I want to make with it yet but I know that like lots of people are struggling with like being able to like exist with people that they love when they have different views and like I desperately want a relationship with you where there isn't like stuff between us, you know, even if we have different ideas and like, yeah. And so me and my mom start recording our conversations about COVID. We do this throughout 2021. We consult experts, we go to therapy, we share a lot, but we keep a lot of secrets too. And now we've decided to share it with you. It doesn't turn out like I thought it would. But before we dive deep, there are a few things I want you to know. The first is where I think my mom is coming from. I shouldn't have been so surprised when my mom told me the dangers she saw in the COVID vaccine. She's skeptical of vaccines generally, and I know this. She prioritizes holistic health, and she has for a long time. Like as a young hippie parent on a farm in Colorado, she didn't just blend her own baby food, she grew her own wheat to bake her own bread. She comes from the left if we're talking politics, more Bernie than Biden. She left the farm by the time I was born. I grew up in Boulder, where what the rest of the country might call alternative medicine has long been mainstream. My mom fit right in. She trained in holistic health practices like Reiki energy treatments, and people swore her voice had the power to heal. Bursting from within And all the strain you're on 
When my older brothers were babies, my mom did not get them vaccinated. I have a different dad, and he insisted I at least get some of the shots. As an adult, I followed the path my mom laid out. I never got a flu shot. I only caught up on one vaccine booster that was required at my grad school. I tend towards naturopaths and acupuncturists, but I go to mainstream doctors when I need to. I've never had an issue with either people who did the typical vaccinations, like for mumps and measles, or people who rejected them. And I've always admired my mom's trust in her gut to take care of our family. But COVID is different. This disease shut down the whole world. When the vaccines first came out, I believed this was our chance to kill off the virus instead of the other way around. My mom believed the opposite. She was flat out opposed to getting a COVID vaccine. Worse, she was panicked that I might get the shot. Yeah, I am really afraid of the vaccine, and I'm afraid of my kids getting it. And and I, I'm just, I am. Yeah. You know, God, God help us, you know, God help us all. Another thing I want you to know is that my mom and I experienced COVID very differently, with her in Hawaii and me in New York. As the Chinese government scrambles to contain the virus, the U.S. Embassy in Beijing confirms the first American death. I watch nervously as reports come from China. Dozens have been infected, but experts here believe the actual figure is closer to 1,700 cases. The ICU is full. Nobody expected this. I panic when I see hospitals in Milan overflowing. Every bed is full. Patients are just a few feet from one another. Here they're calling it the apocalypse. Their entire heads are in what look like plastic balloons. It terrifies me. And then COVID hits New York City. In New York City, the sounds of sirens are haunting, piercing the abnormal silence of a once bustling city. Today, the governor said the state could run out of ventilators soon. New York doesn't shut down fast enough for me. I feel like I have no defenses except homemade hand sanitizer and my stalks of rice and beans. We knew so little then compared to what we know now, about the symptoms, about how COVID spreads, or about how best to treat it. All I really knew then was that the death rate kept climbing and that there was no cure. Sirens screamed past my apartment as hospitals filled up doctors and nurses started to talk publicly about the horrors they saw. You walk in, and it's, it's hard for me to say, but you can actually smell fear. You smell death. I wanted out. My cousin Sarah, who lives across the hall from me with her husband and son, managed to borrow a beach house on Long Island. We were like, ooh, it's like we're in a fancy hotel. But I was so tense, I hadn't recognized my own symptoms. You said, I don't want another glass of wine. I'm actually not feeling very well. And it was like the music stopped. I had been coughing and sneezing the whole car ride from Brooklyn to the beach house. And I took your temperature and it was elevated. And I thought, no, 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 no. And then we closed the door. We couldn't, it was like, get out of the room. Everybody get out of the room. I had brought COVID with us. I was a threat to the people I love. So I closed the door and stayed there, alone, fighting the virus for the next two weeks. I could hear Sarah and my family through the walls. 
we would bring you dishes, we'd bring you food, and we would need to wear gloves to retrieve it. We had read all over the place that the, the fumes from your laundry couldn't come up, that you couldn't, we couldn't touch anything that you touched. And it was just so extreme and so crazy and so enigmatic and so upsetting. And then we were waiting for us all to get sick. I sweat through my sheets, tried not to cough, and wondered how sick was sick enough to go to the hospital. I was alone in that room so long, I started to feel like I'd never get to come out, like I'd be contagious forever. I wished my mom could have come. I imagined she would have stayed by my side. I wanted her to sing to me. It'll be She wanted to be with me, too. I felt so bad that I couldn't come be with you for that. I, I hate that. It's like, what's a mom for, you know? Most of my family was scared. They wanted updates on my fever and how I was feeling. But my older brother, Jimmy, said I could cure any virus with a high dose of oxygen and vitamin C. And he dismissed the idea that I even had COVID. He thought the whole thing was getting blown out of proportion. My fever hit 103 and then finally broke. I spent one more week closed up in my room, then opened the door to a whole different world. People were wearing masks. Body bags were piling up. My cousin Sarah can't forget the feeling. Every day it was worse and worse and worse in the world. I felt true gratitude to be alive. But I couldn't escape COVID. My journalism work changed to cover the pandemic. With the news outlet The City, I moderated a Zoom conversation with New Yorkers who'd lost loved ones to COVID. Marianne McKenzie remembered her son, Luke James Workoff. So, I'm talking about my son, Luke. The last time I saw Luke, was Thursday, March 26th. He died the following week, Saturday, April 4th. Luke was just 33 years old. Anna Christina Minerly spoke about her sister. Her name was Mary Margaret, but I called her my pumpkin. She loved without limits and fought hard her whole life. I held her as she took her final breath. I held her for a long time afterward. I was so grateful to get to say goodbye in person. I was so disgusted that I had to be grateful for something so awful. And I felt so guilty that I had that opportunity, which was denied to so many. My mom joined the Zoom memorial. She heard these stories. I could see tears on her cheeks in the tiny video window. I assumed my mom and I both understood the same thing. This disease is serious, it's contagious and deadly, and it needs a serious response. After all, she could have lost me. COVID hit New York much harder than Hawaii. Still, the islands, including where my mom lives on Molokai, seem to take the pandemic seriously from the start. We're telling the airline industry we do not want any more tourists coming to Molokai because tourism at this time is a threat to the health of our island. In March 2020, my mom's weekly singing circle was canceled. 
Later, the island's main food store closed because workers got sick. The National Guard came in to enforce curfews and quarantines. My mom said the island felt on edge. I think we're doing really good that we haven't lost our minds at this point. I mean, what fear does to people is not good. The first time I noticed her get suspicious about COVID was around fear and isolation. Far away from Hawaii, in Pennsylvania, an elderly man died. He lived in a nursing home across the hall from my mom's mother-in-law, Mary Ann. Residents had been forced to be alone in their rooms, but my mother soon learned that other people in Mary Ann's nursing home had also gotten sick with COVID. But our family was never notified about any COVID infections. My mom believed the nursing home deliberately withheld information. She was furious that Marianne was forced to be alone for her safety. And yet COVID still killed the man right across the hall. Marianne died a few months later. And my mom believes that she died of loneliness. This is when I started hearing her talk about government restrictions being worse than the disease. I hate to see what it's doing to people and children and stuck in their houses on Zoom. My heart breaks for these children that are have an abusive home or a violent home or drug addicts and they have to stay home and they got nobody, whereas they used to go to school and that was at least someplace that was safe for them. You know, those are the kinds of things that haunt me with this. I didn't disagree. The isolation was awful. My situation wasn't dire, but quarantining took its toll. Back in Brooklyn, working on Zoom, I was pretty much only leaving our apartment to walk the dog. We were all miserable. But my mom just kept getting more suspicious. I heard her start to question what was really going on. I do think there is a chance, and this is the conspiracy theory, but there's a chance that there, there's an opportunistic, see how much we can get away with controlling people, how much we can get them to do. She wasn't just questioning the vaccine. She was questioning the whole pandemic. It's terrible to get it, but it's not a deadly thing like they said. And to me, that's what a pandemic is, is that it's like super deadly to the whole population. By the middle of that first COVID summer in 2020, documented cases had killed 100,000 people in the U.S. and at least a half a million people globally. But my mom didn't believe the numbers, and she didn't believe she'd get sick. So I've told you a little bit about my mom's background in Colorado and how our COVID experiences were very different. One more thing, maybe the most important thing to understand right now, is who my mom trusts about COVID and why. In August 2020, there were no vaccines available, but my mom was already worried about them. She posted a quote on social media from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He claimed the vaccine would change DNA, turning 7 billion people into GMOs. My mom tagged it with her take, not on board for this vaccine. Have you ever listened to Robert Kennedy talk? I mean, I just think he's brilliant. I mean, really. Kennedy has been a well-known vaccine skeptic for years. My mom's a big fan. But on COVID, she also pays attention to someone we both know personally from when I was growing up in Colorado. 
Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are out there in the world, it is that time to step out onto the high wire. Well, his name is Dell Bigtree. His internet show is called The High Wire. And then the pharmaceutical industry got involved and said, you know what? We can probably do the same thing that nature does and get paid while doing it. And so for Dell turns his bright blue eyes straight into the camera when he talks. He usually wears a vest over a dress shirt with the collar open, a couple buttons, and his sleeves rolled up just a little bit. He uses his show as a platform against the COVID vaccine. Let me be perfectly clear. This is not even a flu. It's a common cold for 99.74% of us. Dell tells his viewers that COVID is hard to catch and easy to protect against without masks or quarantine. He encourages people to follow his lead. Let's go outside. Let's take off our masks. Let's give it a college try to catch this cold. Grab your vitamin C, your vitamin D, your magnesium, your zinc. Let's do this. I'll see you next week. Dell's been anti-vax for a long time. His big claim to fame is making a movie called Vaxed. It's about childhood vaccines and an alleged CDC cover-up. Omission of crucial data, destruction of documents, misleading the Congress, grievous harm to innocent children. The facts the film claims have been discredited by repeated research. My mom pays attention to Dell because she's known him for years. They both sang in the choir at the church I went to as a child. Just take a deep breath and recognize that this next hour is a gift from God. I'd call it a non-denominational Christian alternative. The church is called Unity of Boulder. Spirit, energy, whatever vehicle makes you feel divinely connected by this powerful love. That's Dell's sister preaching. Dell is the pastor's son. As 2020 drew to a close, COVID vaccines were just starting to be available to healthcare workers. By early 2021, Dell's dad was telling his congregation the same thing Dell had been telling his viewers for the past year, that COVID was fake. Jack preached that the vaccine's creation challenged God's authority. He warned his followers to be wary of the shot. Why didn't the Bible say that God had given such authority to the CDC or to the World Health Organization or to trained doctors. Why didn't it say that? And yet, what's going on in the world today? We thought ourselves into being sick. When I was growing up, Unity offered what felt to me like peace, connection, love, and self-actualization. Listening to Dell's dad talk about COVID I heard suspicion, anger, and cynicism. So we create a little more fear, and then we sell them the vaccines. Yeah, that's great. That's great. We're going to have more money. Good. We'll have more power. Right. We'll have more prestige. Right. We'll be bigger authority figures. Incredible. How many strains do we need? How many strains do we need to make the entire population afraid? Dell has a bigger audience than his father. In January 2021, Dell gives a speech in Washington, D.C. He stands on a stage 
draped with large Trump flags and tells anyone who will listen to not take the vaccine. With no evidence, he warns it might hurt fertility. I'm watching a news media promote a pharmaceutical product, a technology so unlike any vaccine that has ever been made, eight weeks into a safety trial that should be going for 20 years to determine that it doesn't not just affect the fertility of the women that are getting it, but for the fertility of their daughters and their daughters after that. This is normal stuff for Dell, but this is not a normal day. It's January 6th, still the morning, before a mob will break into the Capitol to try to stop Congress from certifying the presidential vote. And in the middle of his familiar anti-vaccine message, he somehow shifts to election fraud. I wish I could tell you that Tony Fauci cares about your safety. I wish I could tell you that this pandemic really is dangerous. I wish I could believe that voting machines worked and that people care and that pollsters were allowed to oversee votes in a free country. But none of this is happening. I guess one more thing you need to know right now is that one of my brothers is right there with Dell. It's Jimmy, my older brother, the one who told me to take vitamin C when I had COVID. I already know he works for Dell. He has for years. But I don't find out that he went to the Stop the Steal rally in D.C. on January 6th until the FBI calls my family. Jimmy has proof that he didn't break into the Capitol, but the moment I learn that he was even close by, my whole body freezes. I'm relieved there's a COVID vaccine, but I understand where Jimmy's coming from. We grew up together following my mom's lead. In our family, staying healthy didn't mean vaccines. But the fact that Jimmy was at this rally signals something different. People who I thought were all about holistic health are now part of a movement pushing violence to overturn an election. I am furious at my brother for being there. I'm furious at Dell for putting Jimmy in that position. And I'm furious at my mom for making excuses for both of them. She says organizers misled my brother and his boss about the purpose of the rally. But I can't pretend their beliefs are just harmless alternative views anymore. I feel awful. So much is at stake. I have to try to talk with my mom. The first episode of The Wedge, a podcast from Spaceship Media, distributed by CPR. And we'll wrap up our discussion with its co-creators after a break. I ask about some unexpected common ground among some on the left and the right when it comes to vaccine hesitancy. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. One of the country's first rodeos took place in 1869 in Deer Trail, Colorado. Today, top rodeo prizes can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Back then, the winner won a new set of clothes. To start every year, cowboys and girls compete at the National Western Stock Show in Denver. Later in the year, weekly competitions in Steamboat Springs and annual events like the Pikes Peak or Bust Rodeo, Cattleman's Days in Gunnison, and the Greeley Stampede, which was first called the Spud Rodeo in tribute to the potato crops around town. And celebrating all things rodeo all year round is the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs for the people and animals who've made their marks in arenas around the country, like the bucking bull who threw almost every rider who tried him before retirement in 1995. His name was Bodacious. 
a Colorado postcard from CPR with the support of Coble and Company. You're with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. We've just heard the first episode of The Wedge, a podcast about bridging divides. Erica Anderson grew up in Colorado, now lives in New York. And after COVID tore through the Big Apple, she jumped at the chance to be vaccinated against the virus. Her mother in Hawaii, not so much. Her brother's been resistant, too. Let's wrap up with Erica and with Eve Daniel Perlman of Spaceship Media, which created this podcast. Erica, obviously, we just heard a lot of false claims about COVID and the vaccines, uh, even about voting systems. I appreciated understanding how your family was getting information as they formed their views. Uh, What strikes me about this story is the common ground that you probably didn't intend to highlight, which is that on vaccines, it seems the far left and the far right actually agree Have you given any thought to that common ground? Yeah, absolutely. That was so Eve and I are both from Boulder, Colorado, which is this, I mean, in some sense, a hotbed for these things, or also like a, you know, a very fertile ground to grow up in. But that was actually very intentional and something that we played around with, you know, how much do we want to include this? And later on, we talked to an expert who Uh, has coined the term conspirituality. So this sort of conspiracy meets spirituality and this real, like, this was one of the shocking things for me that my brother was at this January 6th rally. And I'm like, this is not your issue. Your issue is vaccines. Why are you at a Stop the Steal rally? Like, what is happening that these people that are about choice and, you know, around your body are now linking up with alt-right organizers. So that was definitely something that we focused on and I would love to do more of because I think it's really fascinating. And there are places like Boulder where this you're really seeing more and more of this. And I just think it's shocking. Eve, do you think that this kind of work and the work that Spaceship does, does it work by osmosis? That is to say, when you hear someone else's experience finding common ground, that that seeps in and can change your own relationships. Has that perhaps happened in your own life? Was this project transformational in your own relationships? That's a great question. Our, our model with you know, Spaceship Media was launched in 2016 with this idea of how do we, in a journalistic space, bring people together across differences. And you know, one of the sort of central tenets of our work is we can do things in the small, in Erica's case, just a two people relationship. A lot of our conversations have been bigger, but we can tell story about it. And the, the feedback we've gotten over the years is it's hopeful, it's inspiring, it's, uh, you know, provides guideposts. It helps people think through how they might interact with the people around them differently and understand their relationship to information differently. Uh, the episode that we listened to actually goes on another couple of minutes and Erica, you reveal that you are pregnant. Um, Congratulations. I gather your little one is like a year old now, I think. He is, yeah, just over a year. Surprise. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Pregnant, Uh, and it, it worked out. As this show, The Wedge, goes on, how important is your pregnancy to these disagreements between you and your mom and to healing them? My pregnancy raised the stakes completely in this disagreement, but also in this healing with my mom, because I 
could not imagine having a child that my mom wouldn't have, you know, a huge relationship with. My mom is like, she was born to be a grandmother. She's like the most nurturing, playful person. And it also, there were really practical things as well of, you know, if she wasn't going to get the vaccine, do I let her meet the baby? Mm -hmm. The plan was my whole life that my mom would be there when I gave birth for the first time. Or, you know, who knows how many times I'll give birth. But um, how was that going to be possible? How was it going to be possible to get her from Hawaii to New York? Yeah. And so, you know, we talk about the goals of this podcast and, you know, we say there was sort of this ultimate tension because I really wanted to have a relationship with my mom with a huge asterisk of, and I want to change your mind, <laughs> mm. you know, which was not the goal of, you know, the professional goal of this, but on a personal goal, that was like, what information can I find? How can I say it so that she can get vaccinated so that she can be safe to be around my child and to be around me? All right. So for you, Erica, that was a personal goal to convince your mother to get vaccinated. Uh, Eve, was it a professional goal of yours in this project to change Erica's mother's mind? So there's lots of people doing bridging work and dialogue work, but our work has always sat in the very firmly in the spot of in order to have a functioning democracy, to have functioning communities, we have to be able to talk to each other. So for me, the goal is relationship, it's respect, it's exchange of ideas. I mean, when, when people talk about changing people's minds, Keeney, Erica's mom, wanted to change Erica's mind, right? So everybody thinks that the mind change should be the way that they think is right. So when people ask, did their minds change? What they mean is, did people change to see it like me? They don't mean, did I change my mind? So we stay away from that whole mess and mm. think about respect and decency and how you do engage and what you bring to the table. I mean, there's a huge amount to unpack around how tribal we are in our thinking, how how less than rational we are, even though we want to believe we are. And, you know, that's the place where we sit. Erica, can you preview a bit more about how Colorado, uh, from Aurora to the Western Slope, uh, features in the rest of this show, The Wedge? Absolutely. So the the next episode of the podcast, we decided that we really needed to dig deep and learn more about my mom, both as just to understand where she was coming from, but also to give her a chance to tell her story. Because I think a lot of times she really didn't, she doesn't feel heard, as certainly by me. And so we start in Aurora, Colorado, where she was born. And we also, she moves to the Western Slope, where she was uh a hippie through and through, grew her own wheat and made her own bread and had her kids at home and was in a folk band. You know, she's a real, she's a real Colorado girl. And then later moves down to Denver and meets my father, who's a criminal defense attorney there, also from the Western Slope. And then I was born in Boulder and lived there. And so, and she lived in Boulder until about six years ago. So she was in Colorado, her her whole life, and I think both the sort of Wild West nature of Colorado, sort of anything goes and you can create who you are no matter where you come from or what your family is like, really play a key part in this story for sure. You honed in on something that I think 
felt really important to me listening to this, and that is to truly try to understand where someone is coming from. Because I think it's really easy to react with shock and anger when someone holds a viewpoint that is so different from yours on such fundamental issues. Uh, but in a way, to try and change that, to kind of use a, a martial art and turn that into curiosity, just get curious. I wonder, uh, Eve, if you think that's a tool that could be applied in more situations. Yeah, it's a very, very, very powerful tool. And it's one you'll see across, you know, in, in every group that's working on dialogue is is to start by listening and to be genuinely curious And you'll see in that second episode, Erica has known her mom her whole life. Obviously, she learns a lot just by making the space to understand the events and and experiences that informed her her mom's views. And and it's a thing I return to over and over again when I talk to people. It's like if it's getting into a situation, I just step back and let people talk. And that's a first step salve to a lot of things because you, you begin to hear and see and settle and calm down. Listen, I love the idea of listening as a salve. You'll hear in later episodes that we we go see a therapist together, and this is something that she really has us do, this idea of how do you get away from these facts and these assumptions that you have about this person that are causing these intense emotions or these, you know, intense reactions of like, they have to change, this is life and death, and, you know, how do you get curious about yourself, about the other person? You know, what are you taking for granted that's allowing you to turn this person into the enemy? Ultimately, we really learned that, you know, I wasn't looking at my own motivations for why it was so important to me for my mother to get vaccinated. Obviously, on the surface, it was like, well, so we're all safe. Um, You know, and this is the only way that that can happen is if she does this. And I wasn't looking at my own terror of the vaccine while being pregnant or just having lived through the trauma of the pandemic in New York City at Ground Zero. And I think getting curious about your own motivations as well as someone else's story about what is motivating them takes you out of this who's right and who's wrong and the blame aspect of things. I have to remind myself to use that tool when I hear your brother doubt that you had COVID. It made me so angry. It made me so angry. I d- and I don't know that I'd want to sit down with someone <laughs> who, who made me that angry. You know, one of the things we, we think a lot about in all this, in these conversations is, and Erica mentioned it earlier, is being willing, right? Like, you want to engage with someone who is at least curious, who is you know, has some level of awareness. It's not productive to sit down with someone who can only yell at you, for example, who are, or who isn't doesn't have any capacity for engagement. I, and I also think um, this kind of work is dangerous in the context of, you know, well, just sit a Jewish person down with the neo-Nazi and see if they can get to know each other. Like, there's a danger or or at the very least, like a quaintness to trying to apply that to certain situations. Do you think... Do you think that's true, Eve, totally. before we go? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, it's like, 
if I'm if someone's chasing me, I'm not going to be like, "Hey, how are you feeling?" Right? I'm going to run away. <laughs> but but the, curious. <laughs> but, but the lucky thing is that there's so many of us in this country and the world, and not everyone. And, and if you actually look at the research, there's far fewer of us who are, are in the extreme camps than you think. Yes, I think it's also really important for me, to, like that. My mom and I just didn't keep trying to do the same thing. We didn't just keep talking, having the same conversation, because like, my mom and I have talked for years about this. But this was guided. There was support. I was able to talk with Spaceship. We went to a therapist. It wasn't just sort of like keep trying the same thing, mm. you know, and, and eventually you'll get there. It was like, no, you have to try something different. You have to have help. I think that was key too, because I would not recommend, you know, people just, yeah, just keep talking to that person that you disagree with. And, you know, eventually you'll break through and change their mind. Like that's not it at all. Thanks to both of you for being with us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Erica Anderson hosts the podcast, The Wedge from Spaceship Media, which is led by Eve Daniel Perlman. The show is distributed by CPR. All six episodes are out now. Search for The Wedge wherever you get podcasts. Special thanks to Rachel Estabrook and Brad Turner. I'm Ryan Warner, and this is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.